The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, the host of the Women in Media podcast. This episode welcomes the ladies behind a brand new Indigenous women-owned record label. And if you're paying attention, you know that this episode is also being released just ahead of the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. If that makes you nervous, if you don't know where to start on that topic, this episode is a great place. I have learned so much from these two women, and I have no doubt that you will as well. One of my favorite parts of working with Indigenous artists over at my day job is their incredible storytelling that's passed on through generations. As Indigenous artists and as women, you know, we just were like, things aren't perfect. <laughs> Let's not replicate, you know, the shit that's not working. And in the Seven Fire Prophecies, each fire refers to a time period in Anishinaabe history and current moments. And it said that we're in the time of the seventh fire now, which is a, a time of great turmoil and that great decisions will need to be made during the seventh fire. And if we can choose to return to our teachings, return to that path of balance, return to, you know, a greater respect for the earth and for one another, that we will be able to light the eighth and final fire where a great nation will be formed. So Ishkade and Anishinaabe Muin means fire, and the whole premise is really about songs for the eighth fire. My guests today are Shoshona Kish and Amanda Rayum, the founders of Ishkade Records. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. It's great to see you. Okay, so first things first, you guys definitely have known each other for quite some time, but how did you dream this up? How did this happen? <laughs> well, we, we are musicians. The first time Amanda and I can target that we met was actually like sharing a stage at the Ottawa Folk Festival. So uh, yeah, we found each other many times over the years on the touring path. And uh, yeah, and we worked on a couple of projects together just before we started doing all of these crazy things. Um, <laughs> Amanda performed on a, on a uh, show that I produced with the National Arts Center called Anishinaabe Quay, which was really amazing and beautiful. And I feel like that was kind of the touch point from that we started to like be more in touch with each other and chatting. And I don't know, is that your recollection, Amanda? Yeah, definitely. It was 2003 Ottawa Folk Festival workshop stage with you and Raven. And uh, I can't remember what time of year Anishinaabe Quay was, but we definitely started working on the summit uh, shortly after that. So mm -hmm. for a little context, uh, Raven is Shoshona's partner and also uh, the other half of Digging Roots, uh, the band. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what about you two working on the Indigenous Music Summit together? You know, I was lucky enough to, you know, take one in uh, before the pandemic. How did you get involved in working with the summit? Um, well, the summit, I think it's an idea that evolved really quickly. It started for me backstage at a festival um, and I was in Australia and I was just having the most gorgeous conversation with these artists and programmers and folks from around the world and, you know, and, and did crew find each other. Yeah. And so, you know, there was just like, as we were talking more and more in Dig crew who happened to be at this festival in Australia, um, gathered round and we were just like having a very casual, really warm, like, and super inspiring conversation. And as I was sitting there listening to all these brilliant people, I was like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here, or I wish, 
you know, I wish this other group was a part of this conversation or I wish this amazing programmer was sitting here with us today. And, and I think it just like in that moment, I was like, I got to organize something. I got to do a thing here. So I, I called my friend um, who's the executive director of Folk Alliance International and I caught him at like two or three in the morning because of the time difference. And I was like, hey, Angus, you want to do a summit? And uh, and he was just like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. You <laughs> caught him at his most vulnerable time. <laughs> I don't think he had any idea what he was signing up for. Um, and that sort of began the journey. And, and somewhere like mid-course in the planning of that first year, I realized that it wasn't something I could do alone. And I called Amanda like randomly out of the blue and <laughs> kind of like the way I called Angus. I was like, Hey, it wasn't two in the morning though. No, but yeah, I was like, Hey, I'm working on a thing. I'm wondering if you want to help me. And when was the moment that you two, after working together on a few different things, um, saw the vision of Ishkade records? I'll take that, Amanda. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> Shoshona had mentioned that she wanted to start a label a few times. She was sort of peppering it into all the other work that we were doing and all the other conversations we were having. And um, just before the, the pandemic, I guess late 2020, no, 2019, all the years are, I can't tell I know, what year it is. But uh, yeah, we had a, a more serious meeting about it and like, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to start this. And very shortly after that, and very shortly actually after the stronghold concert that we put on for uh, Wet'suwet'en, um, we really started planning and, and, you know, putting some wheels in motion. Uh, but I would say that one, I suppose one of the silver linings of this whole pandemic is so far is that you know we were at home we weren't moving around as much it, it certainly expedited uh the launch and the kind of initial burst of flames of the you know the record starting um as a fire so yeah okay now we got to get into exactly that the, there's fire involved in the founding story of this record label explain the indigenous teaching that sort of inspired not only the the label name but your mission statement yeah i think as we were dreaming into the space for the record label and really kind of searching for you know what is the foundation of what we want to do and how can we source the things that we need to chart like the proper path forward because i think we knew right away that we didn't want to just sort of dial in the status quo and do it, things that have been done before exactly as they had been done before because as artists and as Indigenous artists and as women, you know, we just were like, things aren't perfect. <laughs> let's not replicate, you know, the shit that's not working. Let's, let's really like, let our minds open to what the possibilities could be. And for me, when I'm searching for that, I always go to the teachings. And, you know, there's just, it's such a rich place for me, the Anishinaabe teachings that I was very lucky to grow up with. And, um, and I was thinking about at the time, the prophecies, the seven fire prophecies were just really present in my mind. And I think I was sort of revisiting that, those teachings. And every time you go back to the teachings that something new emerges and um, in those prophecies and those teachings, uh, the elders talk about the lighting of the eighth fire. And in the seven fire prophecies, each fire refers to a time period in Anishinaabe history and current moments. And it goes back like the, it's really old. 
And then it's kind of amazing because it prophesized like very accurately some pretty profound things. Um, and it said that we're in the time of the seventh fire now, which is this, you know, they talk about it being a time of great turmoil, a time of great power as well, where we need to like return to our teachings and return to um, a sense of balance in the way that we live. And that great decisions will need to be made during the seventh fire. And if we can choose to return to our teachings, return to that path of balance, return to, you know, a greater respect for the earth and for one another and for creation, that we will be able to light the eighth and final fire. And it said that's like the fire of eternal peace, where a great nation will be formed. I think it's sort of like that, that coming together of many nations can happen. And, you know, <laughs> What else are we going to work towards, really? At the end of the day, it was just like, oh, well, that's kind of everything, you know? Um, so Ishkade and Anishinaabe Muin means fire. And the whole premise is really about songs for the eighth fire, stories for the eighth fire, moving in that direction. I say this a lot, like when I hear a really great song, but I just got goosebumps with you talking about like the prophecies and mm -hmm. the forward momentum that I, I can tell that you guys have had, whether we're talking about the summit or the label, um, it's been a really exciting time to follow along on both of your, your journeys in, in music and otherwise right now. With the matriarch role in these teachings, I wanna learn a little more about why you've decided to do a you know, female founded record label. Well, we didn't have another option. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, no, true. I'm just teasing. <laughs> But that's kind of true. Like, I think that we came to some intentionality around that matriarchal energy that we ourselves are, are um, looking towards to empower the work that we do. You know, we work really closely with elders and um, these really powerful women who are teaching us, helping us along our path and sort of propping us up as we do this work. And, um, and also like really sourcing that sense of matriarchy in ourselves, you know, but I mean, can you guys see these? Nice. Oh my gosh. Let me take a screenshot. Stay right there. Hold on. Love so it. for anyone who's just listening and not watch, watching, I'm wearing these really rad smash the patriarchy earrings. Um, <laughs> Cause it might be a thing. Um, but you know, we come from matriarchal lineages, you know, and our cultures uh, as the Anishinaabe, are um, are led by women. I think it's a really powerful notion for us to contemplate what it means to, you know, bring and respect women's leadership in ways that has have not happened in our lifetimes. And it, that is not to say that there aren't women rising and that that leadership isn't evident. But I think all of the sort of footholds of power remain in the hands of the patriarchy and. In, in our culture, it's cycled through many times. We are like in the most traditional sense, a matriarchal society, but there have been times where the power went, came out of balance, uh, became undone. And it was said that the women were too powerful and there were transitions of power to men. Um, and, and then it transitioned back to the women holding that power. And it's been something that culturally has been discussed, you know, and was part of that ultimately like balancing energy that I think our teachings like go back to centrally. So, you know, I think that there's been a really long time where it's been about the patriarchy and now there needs to be a balancing effect, you know, and it's not like down with 
the man so much as, I mean, I am like that sometimes, but <laughs> it's about up with the women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's wisdom we need there. There's yeah. power that, and strength that we need there. Amanda, I know your story is a lot different than Shoshona's. Uh, you're mm-hmm. more recently engaging with teachings and only in the, you know, the last, like, what, what would you say? Five years? Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't grow up in with teachings and my family didn't um, necessarily on the daily, you know, tote the Métis flag around. My grandpa certainly did. Um, so it's really been, you know, as I've gotten older and, and come into this work and my own self, you know, returning to myself through life events that I think, you know, were put on my path um, and this calling really, you mm-hmm. know, to, to show up and, and do this work. So um, yeah, I work, I've been working a little bit with actually uh, Shoshona's mom and in different areas over the years, um, returning to myself and to the teachings that I've been really fortunate to, to get so far. What was one of your biggest like breakthrough moments when you first got engaged in these conversations, anything that really stood out as like a a moment of like big reflection for you? And did Shoshona have a a role to play? I bet you she did, but yeah, well, I, um, I don't have my uh, traditional name. And so we engaged in, uh, speaking about that, and going through, we're still in the process, you know, I'm still on that journey. And I think it's a journey that lasts maybe your whole life, but it's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I'm really looking forward to that because I, as I've, like I said, gotten older, I can feel this deepening within myself. Um, and yeah, I just feel really fortunate to have these opportunities. So now as you're, you know, you guys have your foundation of what you want for the label, now it's about uplifting artists. Talk to me a little bit about how, you know, the planning and the strategizing about how this label can really uplift in the community and some of, you know, the steps along the way that have been really special. It's all been a really wild adventure. I'll say that. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and I feel like Amanda and I've had this really wonderful alchemy of coming together and planting seeds for these little ideas that actually wanted to move much faster and become much bigger than we were prepared for. So it's just been like trying to catch up with ourselves and everything feels like, Ooh, this is super aligned. We just gotta, we just gotta keep up, you know? And um, so I think, you know, it's really, it's exciting because I think also through the work around the summit, it was, it became more and more clear just where these huge gaps were, you know, it's just like, oh, wow, people are really doing this on their own. And there are so few resources um, and there's so little infrastructure for indigenous voices to amplify. So, you know, we just, uh, and that is not, I don't, I actually think it's really important not to diminish the like powerful things that actually do exist, but even like organizations like Ishkade or Red Music Rising, who I think of as like our brother label, you know, like really kind of out, we're out here on our own in a certain sense. So it's, it's like, how do we, you know, show up for each other in really meaningful ways. And I think, you know, the label was, uh, it was such a natural thing to do because it was about showing up and being like, this is undeniably important to have these spaces. So, you know, and I really hope that they continue to, well, I know they will continue to and are currently popping up everywhere. And, you know, 
And at the center of that are these incredible artists whose voices need to be heard, you know, and it's really, it's staggering. And these stories that I think we all deserve to hear, you know, and I, um, I think about Asanabi, who was our first signing Mm -hmm. and the like first time that I heard him, it was just as you were describing Sarah, like just goosebumps and like this full being experience for me, like just this, whoa. And um, yeah, and I had no idea he, he applied to perform at the summit and I had no idea that he was out there doing this incredible work with this like uh, staggering like unique voice yeah. unlike anything to be I've ever said, heard there's like there's so many wonderful artists right now too that there's just like a lot to like sift through as well and mm-hmm. I'm saying this as a you know a programmer and you guys do an element of this in, in what you do and mm-hmm. there's so many great artists out there who mm-hmm. you know we just need more time to discover mm-hmm. oh totally and I'd say that even just the timing of the application for the showcase at the summit and us being in this discussion to launch the label and Asanabi's voice and songs coming across our desk. It was all just this kind of perfect timeline. And uh, I'd say hearing him for the first time was a significant moment for me. Like one of those, like, Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> Here so, we go. So what is oh, this, this is on? Yeah. What is this? What is this? Whoa moment that made you guys have to sign him? What is it? If you tried to describe, you know, he sent in a video and I started it and I was watching it. I wasn't even on the jury. You know, there's a separate jury for the summits applications and it started with the guitar. And then all of a sudden this voice comes out and it's this feeling of hearing something that's old and new at the same time. And, uh, -hmm. I just remember thinking, wait, who is this? How do I not know who this person is? And where, where did he come from? Basically? Um, yeah, like my heart just started beating faster, basically. And I was like, wow, you're, you're onto something there, though, with where the modern meets uh, almost like the historical or the classic or the what about you, Shoshona? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm looking for that, like, visceral experience, you know, of just like my hair is standing, feeling moved. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, music is like, I respect and appreciate like all sorts of technical things in music that people can do. But at the end of the day, I let it be like, uh, yeah, completely untechnical, completely honest and move me. And if the technical does that, then great. You know, um, so I, I just find that art to me on whole is about that, like my heart beating faster or something new opening up in me, like that I haven't felt before or that I needed to feel. And so, and I experienced that often with artists, like as we, you know, discussed who our first signing would be over the course of the year, there were so many incredible artists, you know, for us to consider. And we really, I think for our first signing, we're really married to the idea of someone completely brand new. Mm-hmm. You know, that like just a really, we wanted to let this be a journey of discovery for ourselves and for those who join us on it. Um, so, and I just, I didn't know Asanabi was out there. So it was just yeah. like revelatory mm-hmm. to connect with him. And he's a gorgeous person also. And, you know, that, that ain't nothing. How about the 
uh, process of figuring out like distribution. There are several um, powerful record labels and they are run <laughs> by several powerful white men. <laughs> how, how did you guys go on that part of the journey? Warner has a, a female CEO. Now, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mazel tov to Kristen. That's, mm-hmm. That's brand new though, yes. I feel, you know, like we felt like doors were really open to us. Like we were like, well, we want to talk to these folks because really Mm -hmm. if we're going to do this, we want to fling doors open and like smash glass ceilings and change the world and like challenge people to be like super brave and badass and just like throw down. And we, uh, so we like made a bunch of calls and everyone took our meet our like meetings with us, which was really exciting. I thought. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't always happen too. Do you think because that might be because there was more of an appetite to be listening after the summer that we just had? Well, maybe but these conversations took place before the summer, but I think that we can all understand that there is an uprising that's been happening for a bit of time now. Also, I want to shout out the ladies of Six Shooter because they've also been super instrumental and like uh, awesome and, you know, introducing us to a few people as well so just navigating yeah navigating and and your podcast is uh, you know speaking about women in the media and in the (laughs) industry and stuff and so that you know they're so awesome Mm -hmm. sean and helen um Mm -hmm. but i and emily yeah and i agree though that you know they did want to talk to us these folks it wasn't wasn't a hard sell to get a meeting and we had meetings with all of them Mm -hmm. what were some of the um perhaps eye-opening parts of the discussion is something that you maybe noticed was eye-opening for one of the the people you were meeting with that they had maybe never considered that you were almost helping to inform a little bit about how record labels should be thinking right i know the first thing that comes to mind is right around the same time we were doing these uh, meetings we were also working on a a response to the crtc uh, review about you know, all the quotas and the broadcasting and all that stuff. Um, and I remember telling them, we spoke about two things. One, that there was no indigenous artists in the charts, on the top charts. Um, and that, and we would ask all of them if they had any indigenous people working in their labels, at their labels. And I think that that was a moment where I saw some folks go like, oh, wait a second. I don't have anybody that's indigenous working here. Mm-hmm. That's something I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will say we went in kind of guns a blazing with some like big questions. And um, and I felt like a real sense of responsiveness and curiosity at, you know, at worst, there was just like a hmm. And at best, like a, oh, yes, 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 yes. This is important. And we need to be in these conversations. And that was really refreshing because, you know, I've been working in the music industry for a long time now. I feel like it's I don't know, 15 years or something of like professional, no other gig kind of thing for me. And it's been a lot of no, no, no. And uh, yeah, a lot of closed doors, a lot of really zero access or limited access, a lot of fighting just to have a seat at the table in a small regard. And I think we've seen a lot of changes, you know, starting to take place, but I still think we're waiting for that like seismic shift to happen where we're on a different path altogether and uh and I'm hoping that maybe what we're seeing right now is an evidence of that because I think human beings at the end of the day really you know we all want to show up 
in a way that's meaningful, like to our own lives and to like how we are with each other. And, uh, and it's interesting to watch, you know, sort of the pendulum swing on these things. Mm -hmm. I can really feel it happening right now too. Mm -hmm. Well, I really agree that humans are looking to make meaning for themselves. And to, I really believe that we do all, whether we're aware of it or not, want to be a part of something that matters, you know, and, and have our human life matter in a way, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I do, I feel the shift as well, for Mm -hmm. sure. I think that it's always going to be about wanting and needing to do more, (laughs) you know, uh, as we sit here and, there's been an election and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? As you were going through these meetings and, you know, planning your launch, what were the the things that you guys decided were non-negotiables for Day Records? Ultimately, we decided to partner with uh, Universal Music. And, um, and that is not to say that the other, you know, conversations weren't 100% beautiful, healthy conversations. But, you know, you just have a feeling once in a while that this is the right fit for you at that time. You know, that alchemy of things is what it is. And I think that what I loved about our conversations and our continuing conversation is just this like willingness to meet us on a level playing field and to consistently ask themselves, how can we show up to this in a meaningful way and not just sort of passing that to us. Um, And, you know, a big part of our conversations from our side anyways, were about courage. Like if we really want to change things, if we believe that change is important, then courage is, is, you know, at the center of that. And it means doing things that don't always feel comfortable. Like we have to be willing to be uncomfortable together sometimes. And, you know, and I think that we talked about like, what does it mean for indigenous people to curate our own stories? Because up until now, our stories have been curated by, you know, mainstream non-indigenous folks from a lens of that culturally, which sort of goes from everything to like the aesthetic of what, what sounds good. Mm -hmm. Because what sounds good is very much rooted in culture. It's not this like singular ubiquitous thing that you can find anywhere. And I, you know, like tonalities even, or I don't know. And like the, the foundational things of what, you know, makes a story important and compelling and makes a sound, you know, move you in a particular way. I just think when Indigenous people are curating those things for ourselves, we'll hear very different things. We'll hear different sounds. We'll hear different stories and our ears and our hearts will open up in new ways we didn't even know were possible. And, you know, when I was talking to Universal about that stuff, they were like 100% in, you know, Um, and that means like hustling radio, you know, it's, it's hustling, like, you know, what, and what people end up having access to, it's hustling the people who are curating playlists, it's hustling, like, every aspect of the industry to perhaps take a second listen, instead of saying, no, this isn't what we do, or this isn't who we are, or this isn't what sounds right for us. And say, maybe what sounds right for us is a little broader. Um, because we all know that people have to have the opportunity to hear things many times, especially if it's new. So yeah, I thought that was like, one of these non-negotiable things for me that, you know, Universal was like wholeheartedly like, yep, we're into that. You know, <laughs> this is how movements start. Mm-hmm. And we get it, you know. 
It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Uh, Amanda, maybe this goes back to what you were saying about um, the CRTC, but you know, um, another conversation that we've definitely had off Zoom before was about um, the Juno categories. And I Mm. think Shoshona just touched on exactly that, how we have to have our ears open in a different way for, for that. So maybe you can speak about some of the work that you did. Uh, I know Shoshona was a sound ear in, in all of that, but uh, with, you know, what you were talking to Karis about. Yeah. So I'm the co-chair for the screening committee for the indigenous category at the Junos. So for folks that don't know, every single category at the Junos has its own screening committee, which is the step before the jury. And that committee essentially listens to all the submissions to ensure that they're eligible in that particular category. And you can recommend, oh, this isn't really a fit. Maybe it should go to this category, all that stuff. And so I've been on the committee for a while and have been the co-chair maybe two years or something like that. I think this is my last year, I think. But um, ever since I joined the committee, um, I've heard the other chairs say, you know, we really want to have an extra category added, a traditional category because, and if you keep an eye on the Indigenous category at all, you'll notice that not there's not really any... Um, nominated groups or artists that are making traditional music you know um, whether it be throat singing traditional throat singing or powwow or drum music or you know there's the list is long of traditional music styles but um, so I worked with the committee this year and an, another working group to essentially lobby Karis to add a second category to ensure that you know indigenous groups and artists that are doing traditional music that are basically um, keeping this form of music alive uh, get recognized and that they don't just fall off the nomination list because everyone's more used to hearing contemporary music or that's what's celebrated right now. Um, So it, it, I feel so excited. This is the first year that it's going to happen and the nominate or the submissions are going to be announced soon And so to me, this feels really important. And I know when Buffy created the category, I think it was in 94 or something like that. um, It was a dream for her as well. And for Shin Goose and for Elaine Bomberry to have this second category added. So our group is really, really stoked that this is taking place finally. Yeah. And it's not to take away. That's the whole point. Like it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be one or the other. There should be room for all of it. 
there's a lot of parallels in what I do here too, mm-hmm. um, in the way that we want a, a playlist to sound or, you know, uh, music rotation. You can't just ignore the fundamental traditional side of things because there are exciting modern sounds. We have to find a way to have both on a channel that caters to this type of music and creators. Mm-hmm. Well, an honor where it comes from, you know, like this is the original music of the original peoples of the land that we all get to live on now. So it's so, so important. Ishkade Records uh, and, you know, the near future. Uh, What's something that you guys would really like to tackle that you don't think um, has enough light right now? There's lots of that. I know there's a big list. That's the creation, but near future, what's like your, your priorities look like? I'm thinking right now very much about um, commercial radio spaces uh, and hearing Indigenous voices in those spaces. So, you know, it's like, that's a big thing to tackle, but we're, we're up for it. And you know how there's like a, you know, 35% Canadian content rule. Do you see it coming through with something like that? Or do you, what's mm-hmm. the way? It's <laughs> a big question. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like by any means necessary. <laughs> Certainly those quotas. And one of the things we talked about in the radio review uh, submission that we made was about, you know, um, addressing inequity by ensuring that there were quotas for equity seeking and sovereignty affirming groups. I know what the arguments around quotas are. And I understand those that sort of like merit based, everything is sort of, you know, capitalism is on this merit based thing, but it's kind of bullshit. You know, it's like who has the most resources to go about doing the business of getting their music heard or their art heard or their political platform heard, you know? And, and I think we only hear from the politicians and leaders that have enough money behind them that we get to hear anything that they have to say. And the more money people have behind them, the more we hear them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, capitalism sort of reduces this like merit system down to dollars and cents for us. And I think we have to reclaim that space. I don't think that's something we want to carry forward, particularly in the art space and in the leadership space. Like we need strong voices. We need beautiful stories. We need, you know, powerful leaders and not just power in the sense of like big bank accounts. We need people with integrity and like fierce intellect to help us tackle the things that are coming up against us now. Yeah. And even in a music sense, I think music listeners, let alone the people that create the music, music listeners need the opportunity to hear new things as well, because the way I see things have gone for such a long time is if your music sounds just a little bit too different, it doesn't fit into this, you know, column that we're trying to, you know, shove everybody in on to radio specifically. I I feel this way about obviously, you know, satellite and and playlisting is way different. different. But, you know, we're training music listeners to not know how to listen to new music that they've never heard. And so Mm -hmm. I feel really excited about just sort of pushing the needle even just a little bit on on what humans are able to even have access to in here. Yeah. And I think about like spaces like Sarah, about like what we hear when we go to the grocery store, what we hear when we, you know, go to the many places in the day that give us music. I'm very aware that I'm not hearing Indigenous voices in any of the spaces. So I go out in the world and all of the voices and all the stories that I hear come from uh, other places than my community. And it's like, 
there's lots of room there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love walking into a place and hearing um, Adele for the billionth time at like, sort of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I really, I actually really loved Adele until I was forced feet fed that music for a bazillion years to the point where it's just like, ah, please. But some of those high rotation spots that are reserved for, you know, that sort of ruined music for us could maybe be spread out a little bit to music that we really didn't even know we want to hear. And I'm excited about that. You know, I actually think that that's an easy fix in application if people just say, yeah, we agree. So I think, you know, we've touched on politics here and we cannot ignore that um, September has uh, been a lot about the Canadian election, you know, with the platforms that we just saw all these candidates uh, campaigning on. Did you think there was adequate representation of Indigenous issues and platforms catered to those problems? Or did you not feel as though you found something that felt like it was catered to what you guys want? Door number two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Not adequate. (laughs) Not adequate. No, it never is. I, I put this next to my desk on purpose. I mean, this is... This is just a flyer I got in the mail, okay? But I found it really interesting that there was a checklist and it's obviously putting two parties against each other, okay? Liberal and conservative. Mm -hmm. And you look at this list of things that they're saying like, we wanna take a strong stance on and here's to show the difference between these two political parties. And my first question is, why is there nothing on this list that caters to a pretty big problem? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's case in point, (laughs) really. Like you would think that it would be the same level of priority as sick leave for workers or childcare. Like this, I'm really curious about how we sort of change the way these wheels turn because somebody made that list, presuming that they were listing what was most important to Canadians. This is what I'm saying. Yes. And I think that presumption is wrong. I think the absence of, you know, a meaningful platform and dialogue around indigenous issues is something that Canadians care deeply about. And, you know, and I think it's been really troubling over the course of, you know, the last six weeks or so um, to see sort of this media blackout on these thousands and thousands of graves or unmarked graves and, you know, children that have been found, like, you know, it exploded into the media and then it was just like, shut that down you know, and take it out of the public discourse. And, you know, it's pretty interesting to see it happen so thoroughly. It's just like, they just like scrub it down and you can't find a story anywhere. And I think, you know, my community and indigenous communities across the country have been really upset about that. I see it in my social media feeds every day. It's like, this is happening in real time in our communities and we don't see ourselves reflected in these spaces at all. And I, you know, I think that meaningful change, meaningful platforms upon which change can happen is something that is so dicey for politicians that they don't have the courage to stand up and actually say, this is, these are the things that are most important to us as in our values as Canadians, even now. You know, even as we're here talking about how real we think maybe real change is starting to happen, it's, you know, people are too um, afraid of falling on the wrong side of the the debate in Mm -hmm. some popularity contest and not afraid enough 
of the consequences of doing the wrong things, like just being on the wrong side of history. For it not to be front and center here, but for it to still come up when a, a leader is, is asked something in a debate or where there's a special on, on the candidates, it's like, how come it doesn't come up here? And how come it's only when someone asks that you'll talk about it? That's my biggest question as a white person, because I, I feel like, you know, with the help of, of people like you two, my ears have opened to, to things that I never considered over the last few years. And mm. I appreciate what I've learned from the two of you so much, but like, it, it's not enough to just answer a question on national TV. Well, yeah. we're, we're all subject to colonialism, like mm-hmm. even white people, you know, don't not getting all the facts, like not to say I so strongly believe in do your own research, but since we're born, you know, like we're not actually told the truth, any of us, you know, no one has escaped from this. So, you know, that's why it's not on that flyer. And there's a societal, like a societal digestion part of this too, knowing how, how people don't like spend enough time doing their own research and that that piece is limited. That's why there has to be pieces like this for people to digest that are like, that makes me want to learn a little more on my own if I look this up. Right. So, well, yeah. And I really agree because the algorithms that feed us news are so strong that we need something that sort of, you know, rises above out of all of that stuff and gives us the opportunity to get outside of our own little bubbles a little bit, you know, because if you like, I occasionally purposefully go down the rabbit hole on Twitter feeds or whatever. And I try and tell my Google to give me different things in my algorithm. So I could just see a little more balanced thing of what people are talking about out there. And it's actually really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, you find that there are literally millions of people who are saying things and caring about things that you have no idea what they're talking about. If you just live in your own little bubble, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, how easily it is to be passed on to others, whether there's fact behind it or not. Right. That's what we've seen, especially over the last two years, uh, just Mm -hmm. in general. I did have another, another follow-up question too here with um, the calls to action in, in the, the report, you know, there was very little mentioned about the arts in the calls to action. So this is where, you know, I know the work that you're doing at Ishkaday. If you had to make a call to action for the arts to add to that report, what would it look like? I think one of the things that I care about the most is to um, respect Indigenous leadership in, you know, curating the work that gets heard, making the work that gets seen and heard, um, you know, and really challenge yourself to see yourselves, to see where Indigenous people are consistently missing from the narrative and from the conversation. It's like, I, I think that we have enough access to information and relationships and connections with one another now that this is something we can meaningfully address. It's non-negotiable at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it means sharing power. And I know that's terrifying for all of us and any of us, but the thing is that it's not a loss of power. It's an expansion of power. And, you know, and I think that, uh, sharing of power. Yeah. And the thing is that, you know, we don't relinquish our power by bringing someone else in the circle. It seems like that, but it's not actually true, you know, and any of us trying to 
do things with, with small circles and very little support know that the more people at the table, the stronger things become. And so, you know, I think that while it seems like that's something that maybe we would do on behalf of the indigenous community, it's actually something we need to do on behalf of the larger community. That's where the strength is, you know, it's like, don't do us any favors. Let's do something great together. And let's make that the goal. Notice when there isn't an indigenous voice at the table, on your stage, on your program, in your office, at the party you're at, like just that's the first step taking, taking stock of those things. And then I would say, this isn't maybe a call to action, but just be brave, take chances on, you know, on indigenous leadership, but also indigenous artists, indigenous people in general, um, in whatever facet you're working in or moving in. With the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation being days away when this podcast is released, I can't help but think about how I didn't quite understand just a short time ago how the work that needs to be done starts with settlers, with white people. Amanda, I loved what you said earlier to me, how you believe that you are the truth part of truth and reconciliation. Well, truth has to come first. Can't have the reconciliation part without the truth part. And I think that people making time, opening up space, opening their hearts, you know, to and their ears to listen and really embody the truth is that's a big part of the, the work and it's a big part of the job that can be in small ways and big ways. And I think that we're here for the truth part, ultimately. Mm-hmm. What do you say to an average Canadian not paying attention? <laughs> These what are great say? questions. Yeah. <laughs> what do I say? I mean, I, I often feel like I'm having those conversations. And I, I mean, I just, I think that ultimately what I want to say to Canadians, whether they're in these conversations or not. I mean, I guess it's more of like a question. It's like, who do you want to be? And what stories do you want to tell about who we are right now? And what stories do you want to be told about? You know, like, what's what do you want your legacy to be? Because I actually think that we right now can choose to be beautiful together and leave this world better than we found it and treat each other better than those that came before you know, and, and we can define what comes next. You know, this is our time. We, we get to do this and we're going to do it one way or the other, passively or assertively, thoughtfully or ignorantly. I just, I think it's really exciting to know that we get to choose. I choose in the best ways that I know how every day, and I probably fog it up all the time, but I really genuinely choose to consciously leave this place better than I found it. I'll just follow up with this. So how are you to, to those listening, thinking about this, you know, how, how in your day, in your life, will you leave this place better than you found it? That's what I would just encourage people to really think about. I'm, I'm lucky that I have like, you know, working in the arts, right. And in, in the industry mm-hmm. that we're so lucky to be a part of there, there are lots of people int- that are interested and engaged in the conversation, but I can see, you know, in my personal life, sometimes where people aren't as engaged and, and that's where even asking questions and having discussions with others can just open their eyes to and, and open their ears to thinking about things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, we're having this beautiful conversation and, and several others before this. And, you know, and then we each go about our days and go into our life and see the friends that we have and our families and everything. And it's, it is, I feel it's our responsibility to talk about these 
you know, things in the other spaces, you know, so you go out for drinks with your people that maybe have never listened to an Indigenous artist ever in their life, you know, and teach people about this and talk about things and not even necessarily just music related, you know? Yeah. Um, And to have one other person discover just a different perspective. That's, that's part of the work. Well, and it's part of what makes life great. Mm -hmm. You know, my favorite thing in the world is to hear something that just like lights my brain up or my heart up in a new way. That's like, that's the best, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that there's, there's just a lot of really genuinely, life altering potential in front of us. And, uh, and I, I think we should just be brave and go for it. I feel like it wouldn't be appropriate to uh, not ask you both what you're working on musically since, Mm. you know, we should very quickly cover that too. What's going on with Digging Roots? What's going on with Amanda Rayum? What's coming up? Right. Our music (laughs) projects. (laughs) Because we actually are musicians. Um, I'm stoked because we're in like a new cycle and we've got a new record and uh, we put out a new single um, in uh, late summer. And there is a new single coming, I think, between when we're taping this and when it will actually air uh, called Cut My Hair. And uh, and a new music video on the 30th. And then, yeah, like just a cycle of new things. I'm really excited. And for anyone listening uh, who would like to learn a little more about Digging Roots, you know, there's an interview posted on my socials uh, from, you know, the SiriusXM world, if you would like to learn a little more about that. But uh, check out The Healer and uh, the new chapter for Digging Roots as well. And then Amanda... Yeah, I'm just about to start a brand new record cycle. So the first single for my new record is going to come out in November, which will sort of start that thing that we're calling a waterfall of singles coming out um, (laughs) or something like that. And then uh, my new album will um, come out fully like late spring. And so I'm so, so excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use a little bit of flame Im- imagery here uh, to work with Ish today, but passing the flame on to uh, some other women that you would love to hear more about their stories, their journeys in media, um, and to nominate them to come on this podcast. Well, gosh, there is the long list or the short list. <laughs> so many amazing women out there doing gorgeous work. Um, you know, I think about my sister, Leela Gilday, and just all of the beautiful work she does on the stage and behind the stage. And just, I, I definitely would if she's even available. Home for her is, is it Yellowknife? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's a, a fabulous um, singer-songwriter uh, mm-hmm. that I have had the pleasure of, you know, doing a little bit of work with. She's just a matriarch. You know, she's a really uh, a stunning artist. I think really uniquely stunning artist um, doing really important work. She's also doing a lot of community-based work and amplifying other voices in her community and just, you know, day-to-day world-changing kind of stuff. So (laughs) I just love her and respect her. I think she's amazing and she has so so much to share. Amanda, your turn. Give us one. Okay. I have two. That's okay. Go ahead. Elaine Bomberry. And number two, I'm going to say Denise Bolduc. Um, I think that these are folks that have been working very, very, very hard on so many different things over time. And they're, um, not that they're unsung, heroes if you will or heroines or however you want to say that but they you know (laughs) 
they've just yeah. worked so hard for such a long time in the arts and because mm-hmm. they're not necessarily artists or on, on stages all the time you know I think they just both deserve mm-hmm. yeah I just want to shout them out I, I love them both very much like and all the work that we do really rests upon their shoulders yeah. and the work that they've done to you know sort of open open the door for us to do what we're doing now so I think mm-hmm. that's really important I also really want to throw uh, the six shooter ladies into this space, Shauna DeCartier and Helen Britton um, and Emily Smart. I think they're brilliant and they've been so uh, generous and so supportive in the work that we're doing. I actually can't imagine navigating this journey without them as friends and mentors. Um, And, you know, they're just generally badass for all the reasons I think maybe we know, everyone knows. But. Yeah, mm-hmm. and another another example of a female-founded record label. We love that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, 100%. I would definitely be listening to that podcast. Amanda, okay. I know you had one more too. We're just going to keep going. Phelan Johnson, uh, Rosanna Deerchild, they'd be great as well. Well, thank you ladies so much for coming on this podcast. And like I said, helping helping me open my eyes and my ears to a lot of stuff over the last few years. You both have played a big role in a lot mm-hmm. of the, the work that I'm trying to bring to my other circles. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Chimi Gwich. And you know, I think also like a shout out to SiriusXM, who is like actually making an impact in the lives of Indigenous artists and, you know, mm-hmm. all artists. It's really important to us the work that you guys are doing. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Miigwech. Thanks, Sarah. If I may leave you with a few thoughts to end this episode of the Women in Media podcast. These conversations can be uncomfortable. Please know that Amanda and Shoshona have corrected me in the past and educated me on so many things in a loving and supportive way, where I know in my heart that they want to work with me to find a better future for Indigenous musicians. Now, how can we take all of that and apply it to the rest of what has been going on in Canada? It all begins with a willingness to open your eyes and your heart to listen. And then action in the way that makes the most sense to you. It can be something like supporting an Indigenous business. It can be bringing the name of an Indigenous colleague forward. It can be as simple as asking, why not? And as complicated as asking, how can we do a better job here? You can find out more about Shoshona and Amanda and Ishkade Records in the episode notes. And I highly recommend you have a listen to the new Digging Roots song that just dropped called Cut My Hair, out now on Ishkade Records. Here's to finding courage and being brave together. Thanks for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.